When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 394 of Sustainable Minimalist, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing conscious consumerism as it relates to prescription drugs. Yes, medication. Usually on this show, we discuss clothing and food and household items through the lens of intentionality, but today, it's all about the drugs. Here in the United States, Big Pharma can advertise directly to consumers. So when you're watching TV, you can see a commercial of a fast food joint and then right after see a commercial for Zoloft or Lyrica or Eloquis or, hey, Viagra. Name the name brand drug and you have likely seen an advertisement for it. If you live in America, you already know that Big Pharma advertises directly to consumers. But if you live elsewhere, this may sound completely shocking. Prescription medications are not like any other consumer good. So why are they advertised to consumers as though they are? Listener Maria from the UK wrote to me, and she said she's under the impression that United States citizens take more over-the-counter and prescription drugs than citizens in other parts of the world. She's wondering whether there are any impacts on both the individual and on the broader population. And so today I have a three-part show for you. In part one, we're discussing the implications of that direct-to-consumer advertising. We're also discussing the influence that Big Pharma has on our federal government and Here's a hint, it's a big influence. In part two, we're discussing the pharmaceutical industry's environmental impact. So when we talk about industries with oversized carbon emissions, we tend to not think about big pharma, do we? We think about airlines and fashion. Well, big pharma has a big footprint. And then in part three of today's show, I'm offering up some action steps for you and me as we seek to become more informed, conscious consumers of prescription medication. So before we get into part one, let's all get on the same page. Is listener Maria correct? Again, listener Maria is under the impression that Americans take more drugs than citizens in other parts of the world. Is that true? The short answer is no. Prescription drug utilization by adults in the U.S. and nine other wealthy countries is found to be at similar levels. We're all taking similar 
amounts of prescription drugs. Now, if you're wondering, well, how much are we taking? In the United States, 69% of adults aged 40 to 79 took at least one prescription drug in the past 30 days, and 22% used at least five prescription drugs. So the majority of older Americans are taking at least one prescription drug. Now, us Americans, we're not taking more drugs, but we are definitely spending more on our drugs. As of 2021, the annual pharmaceutical spending average per person was $1,300 here in the U.S., $868 in Canada, $688 in Australia, and just $381 in Denmark. So we're not taking more medications, but medications do indeed cost more. Now, why? Why are we paying more? A key factor in the sky-high prices is down to our federal government's either inability or refusal to negotiate lower prices. There is bipartisan support for lowering prescription drug prices, but efforts to achieve this consistently fail. Almost a quarter of American patients have trouble paying for their prescriptions. And medical bills, they're the primary reason that most people in the United States go bankrupt. So let's get right into part one. Why is Big Pharma here in the U.S. allowed to advertise directly to consumers? Lyrica, the product, because again, remember, these prescription drugs are products. Lyrica, the product, is much different than Levi's jeans, (laughs) is it not? All over the world, over-the-counter drugs, so Tylenol, Aleve, etc., can be advertised to directly to consumers. But the United States and one other country are the only two countries that allow drug companies to advertise prescription drugs directly to consumers. So what is that one other country? I'll give you a second to take a guess. Just America and one other country allows this. Take a guess, take a guess. The answer is New Zealand. In countries that are not the United States and are not New Zealand, Drug companies can market directly to physicians, but not to consumers. Now, the history of this, how did this come about? Before the 1990s in the United States, drug companies could only advertise in print or to physicians. But of course, these drug companies wanted to get in front of consumers to make more sales. So they approached the FDA to see if they could start direct-to-consumer advertising. Now, there were hesitations that pharmaceutical companies might promise miracle cures to the public, but the FDA did allow direct-to-consumer marketing in the end because of the drug company's arguments that the public might need vital information about new vaccines, for example, that had just been developed. And so prescription drug advertising on TV began here in the United States in 1997, Fun fact, also in 1997, the FDA started allowing voiceovers in television ads for medication side effects instead of scrolling through a visual list on the screen, which takes up more time in the commercial. Now, the FDA does have jurisdiction over direct-to-consumer advertising of prescription drugs, and so 
This is important. While the FDA oversees all prescription drug ads, these drug ads do not need to be approved for compliance before being released to the public. The FDA cannot limit the amount of money that these companies are spending on advertisements. It cannot ban ads for drugs that have real serious risks. Companies do not have to spell out exactly how their drug works. They do not have to mention the cost. They do not have to mention whether there's a generic drug that's cheaper, that's in the same class, or has fewer risks. And just to add a bit of scope to this problem, there are more than 20,000 prescription drugs that are approved for marketing here in the United States. Let's put some dollars on that 20,000 prescription drugs number. In 2021, digital ad spending, so just digital ads in the United States for pharmaceutical and healthcare industry-related ads reached a record $11.25 billion. That's an increase, that's an 18% increase on the previous year and a 90% increase from 2017. So these drug companies they are spending an awful lot of change to get directly in front of you and me, the consumer. And the reason is because direct-to-consumer ads work. These ads encourage people to ask their physicians for these medications. It encourages consumers like you and me to take more expensive medications and recently released medications over, again, those cheaper, generic, older medications that seek to solve the same problem. And if you're wondering, well, how well does it work? A study found that for every $1,000 spent on a prescription drug ad, 24 new patients were added for the pharmaceutical industry. So let's talk about the influence of big pharma over the federal government, over the U.S. federal government, I should say. This is where things, in my opinion, get quite interesting. Nearly half of the FDA's budget comes from the user fee program in which drug, device, and biotech companies make payments to the agency partly to seek product approvals. What does this mean? This means that almost half of the FDA's budget comes from the pharmaceutical companies whose products the agency regulates. And in 2023, the application fees for new drugs that companies would like to have approved by the FDA, that application fee can range between $1.6 million to $3.2 million. So pharmaceutical companies are paying that money directly to the FDA to get their products approved. Now, of course, there are worries that drugs are being pushed through the FDA to approval without proper oversight, especially since there's pressure and keyword funding coming from the drug manufacturers. If this sounds familiar to you, I will mention Senator Bernie Sanders. A big part of his presidential candidate platform was his belief that pharmaceutical companies have a tendency to charge outrageous prices, and outrageous is Senator Sanders's word, <laughs> but pharmaceutical companies can charge outrageous prices. They can get away with it because of their significant role in funding 
and advancing the policy goals of the FDA's drug division. Okay, so big pharma. They are paying the FDA an awful lot of money to get their drug approved. Then they can market directly to consumers about this new drug. Why, though, are our doctors quick to prescribe a drug, a name brand, fancy drug, over a more holistic approach? The answer for this is that pharmaceutical companies directly target physicians, too. They target them with advertisements for their drugs. They spend huge amounts of money in doing so. They also target them by buying them lunch, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it has been well-studied that promoting a drug to medical providers impacts prescribing habits and behaviors. Drug companies are getting more and more sophisticated about their marketing to doctors and physicians techniques. Now they can go to the American Medical Association and buy biographical data on individual doctors, including their prescription license numbers. Then they can buy information from pharmacies about what a particular physician is prescribing and keep track of what tends to influence them. This means that big pharma can keep track of which doctors like vegetarian food. Maybe they bring in vegetarian food when they come in for that meet and greet. Or maybe this doctor likes to golf. We'll keep track of that and take them out for, you know, 18 holes. My father is a physician or used to be, I should say. And he would tell me, you know, pharmaceutical companies make appointments with the office. They bring in a huge spread of lunch. And so the office gets free lunch if they're willing to sit through a 30-minute presentation by this pharmaceutical rep. And so physicians, they have only a few minutes with each patient prescribing a drug, particularly a drug that they just heard about because it was advertised to them is faster than discussing a more holistic approach. Patients have also largely become trained, let's say, to expect a prescribed medication that will quickly solve their problems, right? We, as Americans, we want a quick fix. (laughs) We want to take a pill, a proverbial pill, a literal pill, everything in between. We don't want to exercise. We don't want to diet. We don't want to wait six months to a year to see improvement in our symptoms, And so I say all this to say that our medical providers, our doctors, our physicians, our surgeons, they're doing the best they can, but they are still people and they also are being advertised to. Now, concierge medicine could help. Concierge medicine is emerging as a membership-based healthcare system where for a monthly fee, patients can receive more personalized care, more access or longer access to physicians. A traditional primary care physician, so in the traditional system, a physician can see up to 40 patients a day for no more than 15 minutes at a time. But physicians who participate in concierge medicine typically see only 6 to 10 patients per day and spend at least 30 minutes, which each of them, those 30 minutes enable for more time to discuss symptoms and a treatment plan, less of an emphasis on a quick prescription, a quick fix, a quick pill, let's say. 
However, there's a big however, there's a big but, and that is that concierge medicine costs a lot. Membership fees can range from $1,200 to up to $10,000 a year per patient. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to get into the environmental impact of Big Pharma. It has a big footprint. We're going to talk about that after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. On today's show, we're discussing Big Pharma. Before the break, we outlined the implications of direct-to-consumer advertising of these prescription medications. We also discussed the influence Big Pharma has on our federal government. Now we're moving into part two of today's show, which is the pharmaceutical industry's environmental impact. Usually when those of us in the sustainability community think about the industries that are major players in global warming and climate change, we don't think about Big Pharma, do we? <laughs> we that is not what comes to mind. However, it should. The pharmaceutical sector is responsible for 4.4% of global emissions and its CO2 footprint is forecasted to triple by 2050 if it's left unchecked. A study published in 2022 in the Journal of Cleaner Production. Now, get ready. H- hold on to your hats. Get ready for this, okay? A study published in 2022 found that the pharmaceutical sector is more polluting 
in terms of carbon emissions than the automotive industry. I know. Can you believe it? I will link to this research in the show notes for anybody who wants to get their hands dirty, as I did when researching for this show. But the pharmaceutical industry's emission intensity is about 55% higher than the automotive industries. Let's put some numbers to this. In 2019, the pharmaceutical industry produced 48.5 tons of CO2 equivalent for every $1 million it generated. That's 55% more than the automotive industry, which emitted 31.4 tons per $1 million generated in the same year. Now, when it comes to the making of the actual medication, many of the raw ingredients that go into making these drugs are sourced from China and India. 90% of the core components of antibiotics, so amoxicillin, penicillin, those come from China. Now, here's a not-so-fun fact, another hold-on-to-your-seat fact if you're ever on Jeopardy. Acetaminophen, which is the active ingredient in Tylenol, do you know what that comes from? It typically comes from coal tar. Coal tar is that liquid that's produced when oxygen-deprived coal is subjected to high heat. So next time you give your child Tylenol, think about the fact that it comes from fossil fuels. Now, I should say, researchers are working on a plant-based alternative to this coal tar-based acetaminophen. It would be more eco-friendly and, of course, more expensive. But when we talk about the environmental impact associated with prescription medications, it's important for me to note that around 600 different medicines can be found in wastewater. Little is known about their effects on the natural world. It's very rarely studied. Little is known about the effects of these medications in our water on human health. So it's just some things to keep in mind. We're moving on to part three of today's show, which is a few action steps for you and me as we seek to be more informed, more conscious in our consumption of prescription medication. Tip number one, I've said it on the show before, but it's a good reminder. It's not a tip, it's a reminder. Do not flush your meds. Don't flush your meds. You got something expired, you have something you no longer need, perhaps you're doctor prescribed something different for the same symptom, don't flush your meds. That's just contributing to the drugs in wastewater problem that we don't even know the scope of, right? So don't flush your meds, turn them into a drug take-back program near you, or mix them with something unpalatable that a dog or a cat or a little child will not want to eat, and then throw them out with the trash. Next, if you are being prescribed a new medication, especially a medication that you have seen advertised, I suggest checking with your healthcare provider first to see if there is a less expensive or older option that does the same thing. Remember, well-meaning doctors and physicians, they may not mention the generic brand medicine or the cheaper medicine, and it's cheaper because it's been out for a few years. They may very well prescribe the new, expensive, fancy, flashy medication because that's what was just advertised to them. Remember that some 
quote, new drugs are really just reformulated versions of older ones that cost more. So a drug gets a fancy new package, fancy new name, fancy new reformulation, but it's only slightly different from its older version. I'll give you an example here. Vimovo is a drug that's a combination of two common medications, the combination of an over-the-counter painkiller, think like a leave, and a drug to prevent acid reflux, like Nexium. So you could spend $66 for a two-month supply of these two generic medicines independently, or you could pay $2,600 for a two-month supply of Vimovo. I would rather pay $66 to get my symptoms alleviated as opposed to $2,600, but that's just me. Remember, too, that there are plenty of documented examples. Consumer Reports, for example, did a big expose into this, but plenty of examples in which people are prescribed too much medication without doctors first checking the other medications the patient's on. One woman, for example, in this Consumer Reports expose, she was prescribed Xanax for anxiety, but the doctor did not discuss the potential health effects of Xanax with her, so she quickly felt more depressed. But instead of suggesting that she be taken off Xanax, physicians just prescribed her more medications to attempt to counter Xanax's side effects, so a prescription to lift her mood and a prescription to improve her sleep, so a sedative. So this happens all the darn time. (laughs) It's happening to my mother right now. She has high blood pressure, so she's prescribed a blood pressure medicine. But the side effects of the blood pressure medication is providing a host of all other problems. Then her doctor seeks to alleviate the side effects of the first medication with more medication. So just know that this happens. Be wary of it as a patient. And so my final word for you today is that All of us everywhere, in all countries, we should be intentional about our use of prescription and over-the-counter medications. In the U.S. specifically, we must be aware of the effects of prescription medication advertising on our behavior. Let's remember that prescription drug advertisements, they are just that. They're advertisements trying to sell us a product. They are not necessarily looking out for our health or best interests. Our doctors are, but they perhaps do not have the time to sit with us to develop that care plan, hence the quick fix pill. Prescription drugs, they're a product, just like our pants, <laughs> just like our handbags, right? They're a product, but they're a product with significant side effects. So I'll be back tomorrow for headlines where we are discussing the state of climate litigation. There was a big win for environmentalists in Montana this week. We're going to dig deep into that. And we're also going to discuss some more cases that are going through the court systems here in the United States with regard to climate litigation. Is anybody suing the fossil fuels industry? The answer is yes. We'll get into that tomorrow. Reach out if you need me. Reach out with eco tips. I don't have any eco tips to mention. So if you have one, send it my way. I'll see you tomorrow and take care.